Last week, we talked about being born of the Spirit, how Jesus and Nicodemus were talking, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And he says, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. You must be born in the Spirit, Jesus says. And we talked last week about how people are seeking spiritual fulfillment, seeking spiritual meaning, and how Jesus is saying, you must be born of the Spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus says the way to the kingdom of God is exclusively limited to those who are born of the Spirit. And in order to describe this and, and help us understand, we had our, our good friend, Drake the Vampire, who helped us understand a little bit about what it means for us to have the monster inside of us and how it's one thing to be forgiven of our sin and the things that we've done in the past, but it's another thing to actually be changed. And we talked about our story about how Drake the vampire went and was forgiven by the girl that he had uh, done wrong to, and she forgave him. But that, and while that forgiveness was good and restored the relationship, that forgiveness didn't actually ch change who he was. And so the, the story we talked about last week talked about how he drank this magic elixir, and when he drank the potion, then it actually transformed him on the inside. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about with being born again. We are forgiven, but we are also made new. We are forgiven, but we are also made new. And we have a couple theological terms that describe this. So you, if you prefer the Drake the Vampire version, go with that. If you prefer the theological terms, here we go. So the theological term for being forgiven is this word justification. You are made right with God. You are justified with God. This is a common thing that we talk about a lot. It's the work that Jesus did on the cross. We were, because it was his life for ours, his death for us, it was he took on the sin of the world on him, and he took uh, what we deserve so we wouldn't have to. And so when we receive that forgiveness by faith, we are then justified in our relationship with God and made right. God accepts us and receives us, and that's good news for us. But I think that for a lot of us, our salvation story stops there. And we think, I've been forgiven, and now I'm done. But the scriptures say you must be born again, which implies you get forgiven and then you get born into the rest of your new life. And so the next theological term is the word regeneration, which means to grow, to be reborn. Regeneration means not only means God forgave me and I'm moving on to maturity. Regeneration means I'm living into the new life that God has for me. I'm not the old me anymore. It's not just that you get forgiven and then you keep on being the same old you, just, you're just forgiven. It's you get forgiven and then you're transformed. You have not the magic elixir, but you have the Holy Spirit in you, changing you, calling you into maturity, and growing you. We don't want to just get forgiven by God and then stay spiritual infants. We want to grow into maturity, into adolescence, and into spiritual maturity and adulthood. 
Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, the author of Hebrews says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Some of you, the scripture's talking to you today. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You flunked level one. It's like you got to go to repeat it. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance. Not laying again the foundation of repentance. So it's, it's like this picture of a builder who's building a house and he lays the foundation. And, and there, the scripture is saying, if you don't grow up in the faith, it's like the builder just keeps on laying the foundation. Then he lays the foundation again. Then he puts another little covering over the foundation. He keeps laying the foundation. And they're saying, you don't just, yes, you need to lay the foundation once. Lay the foundation. But then build the house. Yes, you need milk when you're a spiritual infant. But then you need to grow. Yes, you need the elementary teachings when you're at the elementary level. But then you need to grow. Grow into maturity. And so this challenges us to not lay again the foundation of repentance, but to go on to the maturity that the Holy Spirit is birthing us into. There's a book that I've been referencing in the last couple of messages called The Absolute Basics of the Wesleyan Way by Phil Talon, and he gives this example. He describes moving on to maturity like this. He says, imagine that you're going on a journey of 1,000 miles on foot. I don't know why anyone would want to do that. Anybody hikers in here? Some of you think that would be fun, that to hike a thousand miles on foot. Great, have fun with that. Now, uh, if the average person's step is about two feet, so there's about two feet in between steps here, and if a mile is 5,280 feet, that means that the average person can walk a mile in about 2,600 steps. So you take 2,600 steps, it's about a mile. Now, if you multiply that times 1,000 for 1,000 miles, a journey of 1,000 miles turns out to be 2,640,000 steps. 2,640,000 steps. Now, if you wanted, you could take 2,640,000 steps in your living room. You could walk 1,000 miles and I, 500 more. Um, but you could walk all that in your, in your house. You know, just going back and forth. You could get your steps in. You could do all that. If, if, if we were solely focused on taking steps, you could get them done in your own house. But why would you want to spend all that energy and do all those steps without actually going anywhere? I mean, if, if we actually went somewhere, we, for a thousand steps, we could walk from Grand Rapids to Dallas, Texas. For a thousand steps, we could walk from Grand Rapids to Denver, Colorado. Or for a thousand steps, we can just walk around our living room. Now, the same goes for our spiritual life. 
we need to take steps. And a lot of us take steps. We're taking steps. We're, we're trying to do things. You know, we're taking our steps. But we need to take those t- steps toward somewhere. We need to take those steps in a direction. And I would encourage you not to be laying again the foundation, but instead taking those steps toward the direction of maturity, going in a a direction toward holiness. So we don't just focus on the foundation of righteousness. We focus on moving into this life of holiness that the Holy Spirit is calling us into. You have been born in the Spirit so that holiness can be developed and produced and cultivated in you. you. If you are a believer in Jesus, he's very interested in your holiness, and some of you are automatically disqualifying yourself, saying, well, I, you know, I'm saved, thank God, but I'm not holy. Like, I wouldn't use that word. You know what the Bible says? It says, be holy as I am holy. And it calls you holy and dearly loved children. He's calling you into this journey and inviting you into maturity and growth and change. He's calling you to Dallas, Texas. He's calling you to Denver, Colorado to get out of your living room and start moving in a direction. So today I want to talk about four problems that we have with the Holy Spirit because let's face it, some of us are going to have some problems with the Holy Spirit because he meddles. He meddles with our lives and wants us to change. So four problems we have with the Holy Spirit and what scripture says to do about it. The first problem that we have with the Holy Spirit, number one, is you might leak. You might leak the Holy Spirit. You might experience some experience of the Holy Spirit, and then it can kind of fizzle out over time. Now, that's honestly pretty normal. But you might fizzle out on the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us this. The Bible gives us this instruction. In Ephesians 5.19, it says, Be filled with the Spirit. Say that out loud with me, please. Be filled with the Spirit. And the tense of that verb is not just to go and get filled one time. The tense of that verb is saying, Go and be repeatedly and continuously filled by the Spirit. So you go, it's like going back to the gas station. You go and you get filled up, and then you do your thing. You go and get filled up, and you refill, you refuel. Ephesians 5.18 has this idea of be consistently, continuously being filled with the Spirit. It's not a once and for all experience. There are many, many feelings of the Holy Spirit, many feelings of the Holy Spirit in this life. That's part of the normal Christian life. So we need to make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit for this filling. I have a picture up here of a little catamaran sailboat. And this is actually a picture of my son and a couple of my nephews who are going out on this catamaran. Adam and I actually went out on it too, but, you know, I'm the mom, so I only have pictures of the kids doing it. But, um, but we, we went on this little catamaran. And so you, you drag it out into the water. You, you pull it off the shore. You drag it out into the water. And then you, you unclip that mast and then as, as Adam and I went out into the water, we're getting ready. We're kind of just slowly kind of drifting in the water. And then he, he took that, that sail and adjusted it just a little bit until, poof, all of a sudden that sail filled with the wind and it, it caught the wind and then we started to move. 
I just sat there while Adam did all this, but it was very interesting. But at, at one point, as we're, as we're going along, the wind shifted, and then we lost the wind in the sail, and so then Adam had to kind of adjust a little bit until, poof, it caught the wind again, and then we were once again moving on. So if this is a picture of catching the Holy Spirit, let me ask this question. Who's, who's making the boat move? Is it you? Is it the wind? It's both, right? Because without the wind, you're not going to go anywhere. But without you getting out to the water, without you unclipping the mast, without you adjusting the sail, you're not going to go anywhere either. And so it, sailing is the art of this responsiveness, this attentive responsiveness to an external power. Sailing is being aware and alert of, there's this power out here. How can I, how can I be part of this power? That's what it is with being filled with the Holy Spirit. I know there's something out there. I'm going to get myself out there and make myself available. I'm going to actually set sail and leave the shore, and I'm going to be ready. I'm going to watch for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to seek to sense the movement of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to try to get in the stream of the Holy Spirit's flow. If you never get off the shore, if you never adjust your sails, you're not going to go anywhere, even if there's a big wind. And so being filled with the Spirit is about being attentively responsive to the external power of God. There are certain things that can help you do this in your life. And these are going to sound boring to you because you've heard these over and over again, but I'm going to tell you again because they're true. Being in church, you are more likely to have an awareness of how the Holy Spirit is moving in, in the body of believers than if you're not part of the body of believers. Being in prayer, there is a you have a different ability to discern and to understand how the Holy Spirit is moving if you have a regular practice of prayer than if you do not. If you just pray sometimes, if you only pray when you're in trouble, you're going to have a different level of skill and maturity in connecting with God in prayer than if you practice prayer through the good times and the bad times, through the times when you feel spiritual and the times you feel unspiritual. If you have a prayer practice that is more consistent, you're going to be able to understand how God works more. If you are in the Word, being in the Word is the other one. I can't tell you the number of times I'm talking with people. This happens probably a few times a month. And somebody says, yeah, I, I haven't been in my scriptures. I, I wasn't in my scriptures, but lately I've been getting back in them. And I've been reading my Bible every day. And, and then they say, it just makes a difference. I hear that all the time. I found it true in my life, but you, you're finding it true in your lives too. That there's something about being in the Word where people say it makes a difference. This is God's voice to us. You will never be able to understand who the Holy Spirit is apart from being immersed in the Scripture, which is the Word of God. So, we need to be filled, be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. And the way that we can make ourselves most available to that is to put ourselves into a position of readiness and waiting and being immersed in the Word of God. So our first problem is that we might leak and we need to be continuously filled. The second problem is that we might extinguish the Spirit. The scripture says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. 
And it's kind of interesting that we even can, right? I mean, it's interesting that God makes it so that we have some sort of ability to squelch the fire of the Spirit. In some way, we have been granted the power and authority to restrict what the Holy Spirit does or does not do sometimes. That's kind of interesting, that we actually can affect whether there is freedom for the Holy Spirit to move or if there is not freedom for the Holy Spirit to move. How we as a worship team, we, we, we pray these things together as a worship team before service. How we come in before a service, we, are, we consistently pray, Lord, let us not be any stumbling block to what your Spirit wants to do. Let's, without your Spirit, we are nothing. And, and we s- consistently seek to have a posture of, let, we're the first ones going forward in worship. Let's lead the way. It's the same with you in the congregation. It's the same with you in your homes. It's the same with you in your places of leadership. Don't put out the Spirit's fire, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. The Holy Spirit isn't going to force himself on you. The Holy Spirit is a, is, is a fire whose flame we need to be careful not to extinguish. He wants to flourish in you, and he's waiting and watching and listening for you to see what you will do with him. Uh, Adam, come on up and, and help me here. I want to talk about, I want to give an illustration about extinguishing the Holy Spirit. So let's just say that Adam is the Holy Spirit, okay? Holy Spirit right here. I mean, obviously he's the Holy Spirit, right? And I'm an ordinary person. I'm you and me. And this, this chair represents the throne, the throne of our lives. This is the seat of authority where decisions are made, who's running the life, well, who's in charge of things. And when we are, before we are Christians, when we are not born again, how life works is the Holy Spirit is outside of us, so go away, Holy Spirit. And I sit on the throne of my life. I make the decisions. I call, I call the direction. This is where I'm going to go. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. And so I'm ordering all these things. I'm organizing this and this and this. this is, these are the important things to me. These are the unimportant things to me. This, and this is how I'm going to get there. And so this becomes my life. Now there's a passage that talks about this kind of life. And it goes like this. 1 Corinthians 2.14. The man without the spirit, that's what this is, the man without the spirit, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the person without the spirit thinks, why would I want God to mess with my life? I've kind of got this, and, you know, God's out there, and I understand my life better than anybody else. This is life before Christ. Now, the second picture. The second picture is, Holy Spirit, you can come on back. This is when... This is when uh, Christ is on the throne. And so in this picture, this is my life, but I have invited God to come into my life, and I have said, you are in charge. And the appropriate place for me as a Christian in right relationship with God is here. Here's my life, but I am at the feet of God saying, you are in charge of my life. You are the authority. You sit on the throne of my life. You are the one who gives me direction on how to live. You are ordering my priorities. You are ordering what I do. You're ordering how I live, who I date, what I eat, how I work, where I work. And this is a properly ordered position of having a spirit-led life. This is the goal for all of us. 
But there's a third picture, and it's one that I think reflects often what my life looks like and maybe what yours looks like too. And in this picture, we're believers. We've been born again, and we've got the Holy Spirit on the throne. But after a while, we start to think, um, we start hovering. Holy Spirit, uh, have, you, have you considered this? Uh, Holy Spirit, you know, I, I just think that maybe we should do things a little differently. Now, Holy Spirit, let's talk about something here. Um, I would really like to have my life be a little bit different than what I think you're telling me. And so um, let me just help you because I understand better than you do what I need. And, and let me just be a little bit more specific here. Oh, l- let me just be a little clearer. <laughs> and, and what I think needs to happen here. Okay, Holy Spirit, let's just, let's just take, um, you know what, Holy Spirit? Uh, let me just take over for just a second because I've got this. I've got, don't go too far. I Don't go too far because I've got this. And we do this, don't we? We want to hold on to what God wants for us, but we also want to hold on to how we think it needs to be done. Thank you. And so we keep on holding on to both things. We want what we want, but we also try to grab for God's blessing. And, and so then we miss out on the power of God. We lose out on fellowship with God because we're taking over. And we don't know how to live by faith anymore. Now we're living by feeling. Now we're living by our own wisdom. We're not living by faith. This is all about not knowing how to stop being worldly and how to be spiritual. And, and it's in this process that we start to quench the spirit. We put out the Spirit's fire. We smother the Spirit. And we say, actually, I've got a better idea. The Scripture says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Move over. Make space. The third problem is that you might get out of step. You might get out of step with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, keep in step with the Spirit. Let me read the Galatians 5.19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. Do you want me to do my sermon again that I did a few months ago? Anybody need that again? Are you, you still ready for a break? Okay. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Debauchery means lust and sensuality. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, that's conflicts, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, which means quarreling and arguing, factions, that's little groups taking sides against each other, envy, drunkenness, Orgies, those are like sex parties. (laughs) Why is that funny? (laughs) I think I need to go back to the sex sermon, you guys. Um, (laughs) And where was I? And the like. There we go. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit means you adjust to the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit does not mean that the Spirit helps you. The Spirit does not help you walk how you want to walk. It's not that the Spirit becomes your spiritual walker who supports you in doing whatever you want to do and who helps you walk wherever you want to go. Walking with the Spirit means you adjust your walk to the Holy Spirit. Um, Holy Spirit, can you come back up here, please? This means... To walk with the Spirit means I link up with the Spirit, and then as the Spirit is walking, I'm, I'm, learning, I'm, I'm learning how to keep in step. And, I, you know, I'm learning, so I, I stumble along the way, but I'm, I'm still trying to keep in step with the Spirit. It's not going to be a perfect walk, but I, I'm, I'm linked up, and I'm watching how the Spirit's moving, and I'm trying to be faithful. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't just go in a straight line. Like sometimes the Holy Spirit throws a curveball and you have to learn to follow the Holy Spirit in those ways too. So um, sometimes you're going right along and the Holy Spirit just starts, whoa, 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 whoa. And you're like, okay, he's going this way. And then you learn to adjust. Thank you. So holy, walking with the Spirit means adapting. It means correcting and realizing, oh, I thought I knew where we were going, but maybe I was wrong. Walking with the Spirit means keeping pace. It means sometimes moving faster than what you felt ready to go. He's saying, hurry up. You want to keep up with me? You got to leave this behind and catch up. Drop it. Let's leave it. Let's move on. Sometimes it means slowing down. And he says, you want to keep pace with me? You quit running off on your own agenda, and you follow me because I've got things to teach you in the slowness. Walking with the Spirit means you have to pay attention. Because if you aren't paying attention, if you aren't out there being aware of how the wind is blowing, the Holy Spirit's going to go off here, and you're going to keep on going this direction because that's where you were headed a little bit ago. And so there's this, this awareness, this requirement to keep on watching and looking for the Holy Spirit and adjusting your sails to catch the wind. Stay in step with the Holy Spirit. The fourth problem, the fourth problem we have sometimes with the Holy Spirit is sometimes we miss what the Holy Spirit has for us. Over and over and over again, the scripture shows us and tells us and teaches us that there is abundance with the Holy Spirit, that there is an outpouring and a fullness and there is enough. And yet, over and over again, our experience of the Holy Spirit seems to be like not enough. 
In John 10, verse 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He comes to, Satan, the enemy, comes to take. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I don't know what you're going through in your life right now. I don't know what kind of suffering some of you are walking through. Some of you are walking through suffering. All I know is that there is a fullness that Jesus promises us even in the suffering. Joel 2 verse 28, the Old Testament prophet says, the Lord says, afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons, did you hear that pour out language? He's going to pour out his spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out, I will pour out my spirit in those days. He promises a fullness, an overflow, a pouring out. There's a picture of an oil field in West Texas that you can see here. And this is a famous oil field. It's called the Yates Pool. And during the Depression in the 1930s, this this field was a sheep ranch. It wasn't an oil field. It was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Ira Yates. Yates wasn't able to make enough money to make ends meet. His ranching operation was not going well. He couldn't pay his mortgage. He was in danger of losing everything. He didn't have money for clothes or food. And his family, like many others, was receiving a government subsidy, just trying to keep things going. And day after day, as he grazed his sheep, he's thinking, how am I going to pay the bills? And one day, a seismograph crew, that they measure underground currents, a a seismograph crew from an oil company came into the area, and they said, Yates, we think there, there might be oil on your land. Would it be okay if we drill a well and and just see. So he signs a contract. He leases something to them and signs a contract. And at about a thousand feet down into the ground, they struck a huge oil reserve. Huge. 80 barrels a day, 80,000 barrels a day was that first well. And many of the later wells were twice as large. That's, That's a very huge amount if you're not up to date on your oil wells. That's a ton. And 30 years later, after that first well was drilled, all the wells still had the potential of pumping 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And Yates owned it all. He'd owned it since the very first day he purchased the property. It had been his for years. All of those years in poverty and in hunger, in all those years in financial concern, he already had owned all of this wealth. He just didn't know how to use it. He didn't know it was there, he didn't know how to use it, and he didn't know how to get it. I think it's like that for us with the Holy Spirit. I want you to know the depth of the riches of the power and the ability and the love and the depth of the Holy Spirit that is available for you. And just because we experience a scant amount doesn't necessarily mean that God is withholding from us. He can, and and sometimes he does, maybe for different purposes, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's withholding from us. Sometimes it's just a matter of learning the lessons and living the life that he wants to teach us in order to get us there. We need to move on to maturity, to stop living in self-imposed spiritual poverty because we think, oh, the Holy Spirit isn't for me. 
Or the Holy Spirit blesses other people but doesn't want to be, be available for me. We need to stop living in self-imposed spiritual immaturity because we don't know how to receive and use and appropriate and live and fan into flame the power of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual resources that God has made available to us. So church, keep on being filled. Do not quench the Spirit's fire. Do not quench and cover over and smother the Spirit. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit and adjust yourself accordingly. And use the resources, receive the resources that are at your disposal. I just want to share six brief characteristics of what normal life in the Holy Spirit looks like. This is not special, special life for the super Christians. This is ordinary, spirit-filled life for ordinary, spirit-filled Christians, which is for all of us. So here are a few things that the Holy Spirit does. First, he gives, he gives you confidence of your salvation. If you have a sense of assurance, like, I do belong to Jesus. I am his son. I am his daughter. I feel confident in that. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Some people question that and struggle with that, but this is a gift. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This, this inner sense of, I belong. He is my heavenly father. I am his child. We have confidence of our belonging. Another characteristic of normal life in the Spirit is power to cast out the devil. 1 John 4, 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, the enemies, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. He's saying, stop being afraid of the power of evil in this world. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have been been given divine power to meet all of the needs in front of you. You The one in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, he's not saying you are strong enough to defeat the evil one. He's saying, I am in you, and I am strong enough in you to defeat the evil one. Jesus himself, when he came to do ministry, he came preaching, healing, and casting out demons. And casting out demons is an ordinary part of the spirit-filled Christian life. Power to cast out the devil. We get afraid of the wrong things. We get afraid of the devil, and we get afraid of what we can do. And the authority that you have as God's children with God's Holy Spirit in you, you have the ability to resist the work of the evil one in this world. Another thing that is a characteristic of normal life in the spirit is power over sin. Power over sin in uh, your outward sins, like the things that you do, um, words you say, bad things you do, temptations you're feeling, uh, bad works that you do, things that are not of the Holy Spirit. You also have power over inward sin, over your your heart over the, the evil desires of your disposition or when your personality is unholy or ungodly. You have power over inward sin and outward sin because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you through the new birth. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The Lord will make a way out. You just have to keep standing. You have power 
through the Holy Spirit, not your own power, you have power to resist outward and inward sin. You also have a new life of purity and love. If you have been born of the Spirit, if you have been born again, it makes no sense for you to stay in the same life that you had before God saved you. It makes no sense at all. But you have a new life of purity and love. If, the Holy, if you are born of the Spirit and God is working in you, you are brought into a new life that is cleaner and increasingly pure than what it was before. It is more loving. You are learning. It's not just about you loving more people. It's about you knowing how loved you are by God. Knowing your own belovedness and having that change you in ways that I won't tell you. You'll just have to discover yourself. Romans 5.5. Read this passage with me. I love this little verse. Romans 5.5. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. God has poured out his love into our hearts. He poured out his love, his God love, into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. He gave us his spirit so we could know his love. That's pretty amazing. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Some of you have already disqualified yourselves as soon as I said the word holiness. You said, you know, I'm just going to stick back here at justification, and I'm just going to focus on being forgiven, and I'm not going to focus on this journey of maturity toward holiness. Uh, You know, that's just... That's way beyond me. I'm, I'm refusing to grow up. I'm refusing to go into maturity. And I would encourage you to let God lead you. It says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God, because you honor God. Let God decide what you're capable of. Let the Holy Spirit decide how much change you can really handle. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and just see what happens. See what he does. Let yourself be surprised. Get out of that throne. Quit telling the Holy Spirit what you will and won't do and see where he takes you. And then finally, we have spirit-inspired understanding. We read this a little earlier, but I think it's worth repeating. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. If you want to understand how the Holy Spirit is moving, you immerse yourself in God's word. Scripture is the word of God. And if you want to accurately, rightfully, and truthfully understand who the Holy Spirit is, what he's telling you to do, and how he's telling you to do it, it will always 100% align with Scripture. If there's any piece of it that does not align with Scripture, that is not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Spirit-inspired understanding comes from the Holy Spirit, and the best way to learn the voice of the Holy Spirit is regular and consistent immersion in God's Word. As you regularly immerse yourselves, you will increasingly know who God is. You'll increasingly understand his character and how he functions. Nobody can do this work for you. This is the kind of work of you taking the sailboat, out into the water, 
opening up the sail and uh, adjusting it until it catches the wind. This is some, the wind can blow, but unless you're out in the water, unless you're in the scripture, unless you're opening up that book, unless you're reading the word of God, you are not going to be able to catch the wind in the same way. So City Life, I want to encourage you to put yourself in a position to catch the wind. Get off the shore. Let's grow up. Pull out to the water. Unclip the sail. You're like, but I don't know how to sail a boat. It's all right. You just, you just adjust and keep moving it until at some point, and, and you just wait, you, you put yourself out there, you, you try, you put yourself out there, and at some point as you adjust that sail, it's going to poof, fill with wind and start moving. And you'll probably mess it up a few times because you haven't learned how to do this yet, but, but you just keep adjusting it and you keep trying again, and as, with practice, you'll learn more and more how to more consistently stay with the wind. You'll learn as you practice how to consistently be available for the wind to fill when the wind is moving. And also as you practice, you'll learn what to do when the wind isn't blowing. When it's God's will to let you sit for a minute, you'll learn how to navigate those times too. Don't crowd out that Holy Spirit in your life. Don't limit him. Don't belittle him. Don't assume you know what he wants to do because I can tell you his ways are much, much higher than yours. And you say, well, I've got big plans. His plans are bigger and it might mean not doing your plans. Will you give them up? Don't crowd him out of the seat. Don't hang over his shoulder. Sit at his feet and say, here I am. Learn to recognize and utilize the abundance that we do have. Learn to focus, shift your focus away from the scarcity into the abundance that he does have for you. It might look different than what you thought, but learn to recognize it. He's calling us deeper. He's calling you to get away from the foundational things and begin to build the house. He's calling you to leave the shore and to set out to the water. He's calling you to say, all right, I've got the elementary truths. I'm, I'm ready for the scarier stuff. I've done some of the basic Christianity things, and you know maybe he's calling me to do something a little different. And I totally believe he's calling you to a greater reception of his love. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, being empowered with the Holy Spirit, is always going to look like love. It's always going to look like you knowing in a deeper, newer way how very loved you are. When you are washed with this overwhelming awareness of being loved by God, you will change. And that's the foundation for everything. That is the foundation for holiness. We grow and we change and we do hard things because of our belovedness. And my prayer for us, church, that as, as, we, as we are born in the Spirit, for those who have given their lives to Christ and have saving faith in Jesus, as we are born in the Spirit, my prayer for us is that we will, be, we will know how beloved we are, and out of that we'll grow into the maturity God has.
So Holy Spirit, we just say we want you. And City Life, if, if you would say, I just want more of the Holy Spirit today, would you lift your hand? Holy Spirit, I want you. Come to me. Fill me. Blow. Teach me to sail. Help me to adjust and to walk with you. Help me to give up. Help me to give up my own way. Help me to get off the throne of my life and to be willing to surrender in ways I don't even, I don't even know how to do that, Holy Spirit. But help me to crawl off of that throne and to get where I belong, which is at your feet, and surrender. Holy Spirit, call me out to the water. Holy Spirit, give me just enough wind so I can learn how to recognize it. And Holy Spirit, I repent of anything in my life that keeps me on the land, of anything in my life that keeps me focused on the elementary truths when you're calling me to more. Lord, Holy Spirit, I repent of anything in my life that is part of the sinful nature. And I leave it behind. And I say yes to you. Holy Spirit, I don't know what you want to do in each individual person's life, but I'm confident that you are smiling and you are excited right now about what you're going to do. And I pray, Spirit, that you would lead us to new places, that you would lead us to deeper places, that you would help us through the pain of maturing. There's always growing pains, and I pray that you would help us through that pain of growth and bring us to bigger places, not just for our sake, but for the sake of your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.